Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I can't believe I'm sharing this, and if anyone finds out, I might end up in jail. But the truth needs to be told, even if it's only recorded in the confines of a journal. It all happened in a war, torn city near Mariupol, Ukraine a place shredded by the merciless claws of conflict. We, a Navy SEAL team, were thrust into the heart of this chaos on a mission shrouded in secrecy. Our orders were clear. Secure a key location, a biolab held by enemy Russian forces. This wasn't something you'd find on the evening news. It was a covert operation off the record. As we moved deeper into the city, the eerie silence was broken only by the distant echoes of explosions and the occasional scream. War has a way of stripping away the humanity from a place. The buildings loomed over us like silent witnesses to the atrocities that had unfolded within these streets. We pressed forward our senses on high alert, navigating the labyrinth of destruction. The city had become a playground for death, and the enemy was everywhere lurking in the shadows. As we neared the bio lab, the air became thick with tension. 
We had no idea what we were about to face. The intel hinted at experiments gone wrong, twisted creations born out of the macabre fusion of science and war. And then we saw them, possessed individuals, human-like creatures that moved with an unnatural grace. The creatures weren't alone. From the biolab, Russian forces emerged, their faces obscured by a cold determination that sent shivers down my spine. It was as if they had harnessed the very essence of fear to command these abominations. The battle unfolded in a chaotic symphony of gunfire and guttural roars. Our team fought with a precision drilled into us. But these creatures were relentless. Yet these creatures were relentless. It was a gruesome dance between life and death. Each pull of the trigger echoed with the weight of our collective fear. A fear we couldn't allow to consume us. After what felt like an eternity, we emerged victorious. The bodies of the creatures and fallen enemies sprawled around us like a testament to the horrors we had just faced. With cautious steps, we approached the biolab's entrance, a portal to the unknown. Inside, the air was stale and the walls seemed to whisper secrets of forbidden experiments. We secured a vial containing a mysterious virus, a potential weapon of unimaginable destruction. Little did we know the true extent of its power. Back in the safety of our base, our superior delivered a chilling message. We were to remain silent about what we witnessed. The government didn't want the world to know about the dark experiments conducted in that war-torn city. The truth was to be buried, and we were left to carry the weight of that silence, haunted by the memories of a secret war fought in the shadows. Several years ago, when I was still living in New York City, I had a personal Bigfoot encounter. I know it sounds crazy, and the experience has converted me to an avid Bigfoot believer and hobby researcher. And no, the encounter did not happen in New York City, but it did happen in New York State. I was living at that time in an apartment near my older brother's apartment in the East Village. We were both working for foreign companies in the city and were renting shared apartments in the East Village. My brother had recently bought a cheap old Honda for a laughable price, and because the car was such a jalopy, he parked it on the streets of the city, usually in Alphabet City, closer to the East River. We got the idea to make a cheap weekend hiking adventure up to the Adirondacks, which is an eight-hour drive due north from New York City. The park is larger than the seven smallest USA states combined. It's larger than Yellowstone, Grand Canyon, Yosemite, the Everglades, and the Great Smoky National Parks combined. The park is huge. You'd be amazed at how many people living in New York City don't even know the park exists. The park is amazing for nature, hiking, and hosts, all sorts of wildlife. One can see species of birds and fish, as well as larger mammals like moose, bears, and coyotes. And after this hiking experience, I learned that the Adirondacks are an absolute hotbed for Bigfoot sightings. I can attest to this from personal experience. Our plan was to drive up and split the driving so we each do about four hours. It's pretty manageable, actually, if you just go and stop for some breaks and snacks. Being that we both had just got out of college, we were used to roughing. 
it in doing things on a budget. The plan was to stay in what we kiddingly called a Honda Hotel. The sleeping isn't so comfortable, but the price is right, and the view is spectacular. The view of large furry creatures that should not be there, that is. My brother Marcus had this idea that he was going to hike each of the tallest mountains in the Adirondacks, so he had already chosen our target mountain. After driving up, we parked the car, and the hike was amazing. We only saw a couple other people the whole day and climbed through steep trails surrounded by old growth. We saw some cool birds and a few eagles flying over us when we got to the peak. The thought of Bigfoots had not crossed my mind. But later in the evening when the day was done, I can say that my senses were on alert. After grabbing dinner at a kind of hunter's den restaurant, we drove the car down some random dark forest road. We were looking for a place where we could park the car and get some sleep without anyone noticing. We didn't want to get harassed by the police. We drove a while, and going deep into a forest to find a safe place is like a double-edged sword. On one hand, there is safety in being out there because you can disappear. On the other, we were two city kids in a crappy city car, deep in a forest we know little about. We were also really tired after a long day of driving and mountain hiking. A few thoughts crossed my mind, like how I'd rather not get a visit from coyotes, wolves, or especially bears during the night. But at the same time, we were in a locked car with the front windows just open to crack so we felt safe. And further, when you're in a car, there is always the perceived safety that we could just start the engine and gun it out of there. My mind was too tired to worry, actually, and I don't remember much from after we parked the car, because I curled up under my jacket in the passenger seat and was soon in a deep sleep. At some point in the middle of the night, the car was bumped. The bump was felt like that trick people do when they jump on the bumper and the car dips down. I sat up quick and awoke to instantly being in a panic. I was disoriented about the place and time but could feel my heart beating and eyes racing around dark forest scenery outside the car. My brother did exactly the same, and he said, What was that? Then the rancid stench hit me. We had left the windows on each side, opened a crack to get fresh air. The air was anything but fresh. The stench in the air was something like a combination of hot, rotting flesh and wet dog smell. It wasn't make you puke foul, but it was thick in the air. I whispered to my brother, there's somebody out there. Let's get the F out of here. We really didn't know what to do, but we had no way of protecting ourselves and at that moment thought it was some people or local kids messing with us. Marcus started the car. As our eyes had adjusted, we could see a little bit of the environment outside the car. It was a moonless night, but there was just enough light to see a dark forest in shades of black and dark gray as the human eye sees at night. Then we heard it over the humming of the engine. We heard rapid footsteps move in the direction away from the car. Marcus put the car in reverse, and the white lights at the rear of the car illuminated the forest behind us like bright spotlights. He started to back out, not super slow, but not super fast either. As the car rolled back, my eyes scanned the trees and the dark spaces between the trees. Each second dragged, and I felt like I was ready to flinch if anything sudden happened. After backing out about four car lengths, 
there is a spot where we could back into to use to turn around. Marcus put the front headlights on, and I saw it. It definitely was not some mountain people or local kids messing with us. We saw partly blocked by some forest growth, the huge shoulders, uppers, arms, and massive head of a creature covered in black hair. I could barely see its face, but the eyes reflected back the golden light with the eerie, steady glow. Its demeanor was not threatening. It actually had a sort of on-guard curiosity. I remember saying the words, do you see that? and my brother turned the wheel, making the headlights move their shine away from the creature, leaving it in the dark and out of view. Marcus stayed quiet. He muscled the steering wheel this way and then the other way around, and we pulled out of there. I looked back and saw the dark forest rolling back away, illuminated red slightly from the rear lights. The area where we had slept faded away as we drove off. Marcus calmly said that was a Bigfoot, we stopped at McDonald's off the side of the freeway. We wanted to get some coffees because there was no way we were going to sleep in the Honda Hotel again tonight. As dim blue light filled the morning sky, we started to drink our coffees and talked about the experiences we drove on the empty freeway back towards the city. We talked about the experience until we had nothing more to talk about. Had the Bigfoot sensed our scent and came to investigate? Was it a friendly visit? Or could it have escalated to something dangerous? Could we have taken photos or a video if we were not freaking out trying to get out of there? These are things we'll never know. After many hours of driving and pulling off the FDR drive, we parked the dust-covered Honda on, on ONWD. I felt a strange sense of comfort waking back to my apartment. The city has plenty of strange characters, some of them more safe than others, but one thing for sure... There are no Bigfoots in New York City. My father likes to frequent the sports club of the local university where he teaches to run and exercise. It is a large sports area with swimming pools, soccer and basketball fields, etc. He still goes there every now and then. This place is at the exit to the next town and close to where we live in the state of Sao Paulo, Brazil. He goes there walking and cuts the way along a trail that goes up a ravine, passing beside a large eucalyptus plantation. Through this shortcut, you can avoid walking half a kilometer uphill to the main entrance. A lot of people use this shortcut, including local employees. One day, he went for a run a little later than usual, at around 6.30 p.m. About an hour later, the sun was already gone, and with just a few more minutes left of daylight, he was exhausted, so decided to return by the same shortcut as usual. Would not be much of a problem, since the full moon was high in the sky. When he reached the edge of the woods, he noticed a figure in the middle of the trees that looked like a horse inside the eucalyptus enclosure. He first ignored it and kept walking, thinking if he should try to communicate with someone around about it. Mind that this place is surrounded by farmers that own horses. He kept walking but started to feel eerie as if someone was watching him. The feeling soon became stronger. A few more steps and he realized that the horse was walking alongside him. So he looked again between the trees and saw that it was behind a tree. He thought that was strange, a horse hiding. Also, it managed to stand facing the tree between them. He just shook it off and continued the trail. 
He was already halfway down, but the unsettling fear was increasing, so he looked at the horse again, and as his eyes adjusted to the darkness, he could see it a little better. Now it didn't really look like a horse, because he saw the animal jump from behind a tree to another. By the way, it jumped it seemed to be a very tall and strong person. He stopped in shock and stared at the animal still behind the tree, and noticed something swinging. What he previously thought was the horse's tail now looked like a man wearing a long coat, but the darkness and shadows of the branches were too confusing to figure it out. He decided to ignore it and move on, thinking it was maybe just his imagination. He kept on track, but at the end of the trail there is a point where his path and the path where the animal was would cross each other. He started to freak out and decided to go back to the field and take the avenue, so he started walking back, paying close attention to the animal. He even thought it could be a friend trying to scare or make fun of him. Going back towards the field where the lights were now on, he could better see its silhouette, a massive muscular thing, hunched back, apparently covered in thick fur and what seemed like pointy ears in its head. He stopped in disbelief, but the creature kept walking towards him not worrying much about hiding anymore. That's when his blood ran cold. The animal was approaching from the side as if it wanted to trap him. He tried not to run in order to display confidence and avoid attention, so he fast walked back towards the field, distancing from the trail. When he took a last glance, the animal was there, still lowered in a bush on its fours like a gorilla. It looked like a huge human dog. When they were around 100 meters apart, my father ran to the main entrance of the avenue and was relieved to see that the animal did not follow. He came back by the avenue, still on high alert, shitting his pants. Now every time he goes there, he makes sure he doesn't stay past dusk. In the summer of 1988, I was 14 years old visiting my dad. After my parents had separated, my dad decided to live out in a small house in the woods, about a half hour away from Missoula, Montana, kind of off the grid. This was his dream, and he allowed me to experience it with him about every other weekend. We would go hiking, hunting, kayaking, bird watching, you name it. We would sometimes camp out outside in the woods, and that is where I saw it. It was one of those camping trips I went on with my dad, where I not only saw a Bigfoot, but it was terribly close to me. My dad and I found a spot pretty deep in the brush to set up camp. When night fell, we decided to sleep in our sleeping bags outside to watch the stars. My dad fell asleep pretty quickly, but it, it was a bit harder for me. I remember trying extremely hard to fall asleep that night, but to be honest, even though by that time I had been on plenty of camping trips with my dad already, I was still pretty freaked out by the forest at night. This fear kept me awake all through the night. I remember that at a certain point when I was just starting to finally drift into sleep, I heard something come out of the trees and snapping twigs loudly as it walked on towards us. My dad still was fast asleep, and now I was basically pissing my pants. I thought some strange person was walking on towards our campsite, but as I squinted my eyes open a bit, I could see that only about ten feet away from me was an enormous hairy creature that stood and walked on two legs like a human would. 
Obviously, I wanted to scream out in fear, but I tried my best to pretend I was asleep in hopes that it would just eventually move along. I think the creature which I now believe to be a Bigfoot was attracted to the smell of the meat my dad had been cooking before. And strangely, it didn't seem the least bit interested in us. It seemed more interested in just slowly walking around our campsite, presumably looking for some of the food it must have thought we had. But I have to tell you that not only was I scared at the sight of the giant hairy man, but I was also sickened by the pungent and overwhelming odor that the beast was emitting. Eventually, the Bigfoot seemed to get bored and disappeared into the darkness. I remember trembling in my sleeping bag and not being able to sleep the rest of the night. I didn't tell my father about it until he woke up the next morning, because I was afraid if I tried to wake him up during the night, then the creature might see us awake or even hear us. I was not willing to find out how it would react when it did. When I told my dad about it, he just told me it was probably a large bear walking around on its hind legs. But when I described to him that the creature was extremely human, like and walked like a person would, he chalked it up to it me, just either hallucinating from fear, or that I was not aware that I was dreaming. To this day, I know exactly what I saw. It was about nine feet tall, with extremely long and matted brown hair all over its body, including the face, which to me seemed to look very human, like in a primitive sort of way. I still remember the horrible stench that made me want to vomit. That was probably the longest and most terrifying night of my life. But afterward, I've come to honor the experience, because I would come to realize that the creature was undoubtedly a Bigfoot and I was one of the few people who got the chance to see it extremely up close. So, to all of you skeptics out there, I understand your incredulity, but believe me, I've experienced it firsthand. There is no doubt that these creatures exist. I'm not sure about how abundant they are, but they truly exist, and they are not only scary-looking and smelly, but they are a fascinating sight to see. And even though I only remember hearing the Bigfoot grunt and growl a bit, I feel that they are more human-like than apes due to the appearance of the face. That was actually the scariest part. Seeing that not only was there a strange giant creature creeping around my campsite, but it was a very human-like, albeit extremely hairy creature. And when I say hairy, I really mean it. I've never seen so much hair on the body of any creature. My words here can never do justice to what I saw that night as a teen. I can never describe to you just how otherworldly and surreal the whole situation felt. But it was real, and I know I wasn't dreaming because I could not get to sleep the whole night. In fact, I was very wide awake, even though I pretended to sleep while every now and then opening my eyes slightly to catch glimpses of the Bigfoot. To this day, I am greatly affected by the experience because it changed my whole perception of the world. After that, I would never doubt the possibility of anything existing, not even things like vampires, aliens, or the chupacabra. I learned from that night to always keep an open mind when hearing about the seemingly impossible because I myself encountered a creature long thought and still thought to be purely a myth by most people.
I was living on the north shore of Oahu, and my friends wanted to go camping out at Kaina Point. I had to work late, so I told them I would hike out late by myself and meet them out there. Keep in mind this area is unpopulated and usually frequented by local fishermen that camp out for the weekend. They are not the problem. What is the problem is that this area has had people killed out here, bodies dumped and drifters that have lived there. To put it frankly, when I'm hiking out at night, I try to stay out of sight of any cars that might be driving by on the dirt, mud path that you walk three miles down to get to the point. On the average weekend, you might see three, four groups of fishermen camping out past where the paved road ends, and since they are down by the water's edge and the main trail is closer to the mountains, I had a good amount of space to myself for my 11 o'clock at night hike out to the point by myself. About halfway there, I wished I never went. My heart skipped a beat when I looked up at the mountains at a group of silhouettes sitting around a fire with what looked like a torch near them and one guy holding another torch facing me. He looked like he was looking right at me even though they were up in the mountains and a good mile away from me up on a ridge, if you knew anything about the night marchers, you would be shitting your pants right now. As for me, I chose not to believe in ghosts and decided to use my flashlight to signal them. Surely if they were a camping party, they would signal me back with their flashlights, if they had them. So I spent about five minutes flicking my flashlight on and off toward them and no freaking reply. The dude with the torch just seemed to be staring out at me. Somehow I convinced myself that they were just campers that didn't know the universal code of hey dudes. I'm flicking my flashlight at you because I'm scared. I just want to confirm, you are real people, so please flick me back. Unfortunately, they didn't understand this hiking etiquette. So I spent the rest of the one-mile hike muttering to the tall grass and bushes that I passed that if anything came out of them, I was going to kill them. And yes, I know, the night marchers are ghosts, and I can't technically kill them. But what can I say? You say some strange shit when you're really freaking scared. So a few years ago, I took a solo motorcycle trip down Baja, California. Towards the bottom of the peninsula near the town of La Paz, I decided I was going to camp on a stretch of secluded beach. This was something I'd already done a number of times during the trip, and I'd always been fine. So in the afternoon, I load up some supplies in town and head out. About 20 miles outside of the city, about five miles from the nearest sign of civilization, I came to a nice beach with a little bungalow bar. I asked the guy, a gringo, behind the bar about possibly camping in the vicinity. He said, yeah, give it a go. There's nobody out here, so it'll be fine. Good enough for me. I drove about two miles down the beach on a sandy little path. About 50 yards from the sandy path, there were some decently sized dunes. Then there was the sea. I pitched my tent among the dunes next to my bike, cooked some dinner, took a swim, and when it got dark, I crawled inside and read a book with my headlamp. Around midnight, I saw lights illuminate the side of my tent. Defa quickly turned off my headlamp and stuck my head out the tent flap. Sure enough, there was a car slowly bumping its way down the sandy track. 
Oh, shit. The car comes to a stop directly parallel to my tent. Headlights off. Car doors open and close. Oh, shit. I grab my little Leatherman knife. Not sure what I thought I was going to do with it exactly. And scrambled about 20 yards away from the tent and hid in the dunes. Laying flat on the sand, I waited. Hoping against hope that nobody found me. What if they do? Should I attack them first? What if they have guns? Could I actually stab someone? It probably doesn't matter. They probably have guns. After what felt like an hour of sheer panic, but was probably more like 15 minutes, I hear car doors open and close again. Headlights on. They did a three-point turnaround. I thought for a split second that they were just turning the car to use the headlights to find me. And then they drove back the way they came. I still didn't go back to the tent for probably an hour. I just laid in the sand. Eventually, I snuck back. Check it out for footprints around, but I couldn't tell if they were new or mine from earlier. I packed everything up in the dark, loaded it on my bike, ready to make a quick getaway should they come back. Then I sat there with my back against the bike for the rest of the night, watching the road until morning. When I was camping out in the backwoods of Connecticut, I experienced what I can only explain as supernatural. I was bet waking my camp down with my buddy, and as we were packing up our bags, him, I saw it. The entire world had turned orange. Now, when I say this, I first thought it was the sun reflecting of the autumn colors of the forest. But then I looked at my hands. Literally, everything had turned to the same shade of orange, even if there was no direct light on it. At this point, I'm hyperventilating because my mind cannot work out what the F is going on. I turn to my buddy, and he's frozen in fear, just staring at me, and says, Please tell me you're seeing what I'm seeing, because I'm freaking out, bro. I tell him he's not crazy, and that everything is orange, and he nods his head in disbelief. To this day, I have no idea what the hell happened back there, but I don't know if I can go back. The eeriness of the color and how silent and still the forest became during that ordeal is something I will never forget. One time I was out hiking with a group of my younger brother's friends. I am 19, they are all 12, 14, and we come up on this older guy, 45, 50, and a girl... No idea how old she was. Could have been anywhere from 17, 20, 3. We had been on a spur trail near the Appalachian Trail for maybe three days so far. So not far from civilization. Just sort of middle of nowhere mountains. So this guy is wearing jeans and a flannel in the middle of July. He has a school backpack, not a backpacking pack. And the girl isn't really saying anything. Me and my friend, who is leading the hike with me, is sort of like what the hell is going on confused. So we walk up to the guy. He was in the middle of the trail and make conversation. Everyone is super friendly out there. The guy asked how our day was, usual small talk. Then he asked which was, was the Appalachian Trail. I told him it was maybe two days hike the opposite direction, which seemed odd. We continued despite the oddness. Then I asked him how their hike was and such and what they are up to. 
He said that the girl was his daughter and that her mother drops her off with him once every summer and they section hike the Appalachian Trail together every summer. Last year they did 100 miles, the year before, that 150 and so on. Now they are in the Virginia section. I'm like, oh cool, that's so family friendly. Then he asked us where we are staying for the night. Now, mind you, we have five, six, twelve-year-old boys with us. I'm like, hell no, I'm not telling him where we are camping for the night. He then asked if he could stay with us, because he was sort of lost. I was like, no, sorry, we don't have enough food. And he was like, oh, I don't need charity. We have food. So I shake that off. I just tell him we are camping at Sugar Pond, miles away from where we are camping. And then I tell my friend Chris that we need to get the F out of there. We book it for four more miles till camp, skip the place we were originally camping at, just cause the guy seemed so creepy. Nothing happens. We get picked up the next day. I forget about it. Months later, I run into my friend Chris again. I ask him how the rest of his summer in Virginia was, and he goes, Dude, did I ever tell you about that kidnapper? Immediately, I'm like, oh, fault. The guy we saw. Turns out the guy we saw. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. So I had met the girl, who was actually 14, on an internet chat room and met her at a Walmart nearby. He then kidnapped her and brought her on the trail with him to avoid the cops. Days after we saw him, they had helicopters and police all over the southwestern corner of Virginia searching for him. I'm Barger, a seasoned six-year Army veteran, and I faced my fair share of challenging situations. But nothing could have prepared me for that fateful night when I crossed paths with the enigmatic creature known as the Dogman. It was a calm evening in June, and I was on my usual route, hauling a hefty load of paper from a northern Michigan mill through the dense forest. Little did I know that my life was about to take a drastic turn into the realm of the unimaginable. The incident unfolding in a matter of mere seconds would leave an indelible mark on my memory. In a later video that I shared, I recounted the extraordinary tale, my voice resolute and sincere. I would swear, as a Christian on a Bible, that this is all 100% factual truth, I asserted. Leading up to the encounter, I noticed an air leak while navigating through the forest. Worried about the situation, I pulled over to address it, maneuvering myself beneath the trailer. As I worked to fix the issue, an unsettling feeling crept over me. Amidst the eerie ambiance, an unnatural vocalization reached my ears, unlike any sound I had ever heard. My gaze shifted towards the nearby woodland, where I detected shadowy movements. Despite the ample light, a sense of unease gripped me, and I instinctively attributed the shadow to a potential black bear. 
However, what unfolded next shattered all expectations. As I resumed my journey, I glanced into the side mirror, only to find an inexplicable darkness cloaking my surroundings. To my astonishment, a colossal wolf-like head with piercing yellow eyes and gleaming sharp teeth trotted alongside my truck on two legs. It was stooping down on two legs. Looking down on two legs, looking down on two legs, looking down inside of my cabin, I recounted. My voice conveyed a mix of fascination and fear. He was sneering. The looks he was giving me and the intelligence in his eyes was telling me, I'm here to get you, and there's nothing you can do about it. The encounter unfolded in slow motion as I grappled with the surreal reality before me. Fueled by a sense of urgency, I reached for my forty-five Colt handgun and fired two shots at the creature. It crumpled seemingly lifeless, and my focus shifted back to the road as I tried to steady my pounding heart. After a mile, I managed to find a suitable spot to turn around and inspect the aftermath. However, upon my return to the site, the creature had vanished, leaving behind a jeep and two individuals. They explained that they had been observing two bears fighting, which added a perplexing layer to the mystery. Driven by shock and curiosity, I sought answers, only to be met with an empty space where the creature once stood. With time, my nightmares gradually faded, though the memory of the encounter remained vivid. Eventually, I made the decision to share my experience, believing it was essential for others to know. However, this revelation attracted the unwanted attention of federal authorities, who confiscated my gun, intimidated me, and demanded my silence. I deduced that the government was keeping the existence of the dogman hidden possibly for some covert military purpose. As my story spread, it joined the ranks of the numerous dogman legends that have haunted Michigan for over a century. From the tales of lumberjacks in 1887 to my own modern-day encounter in 2017, the enigmatic creature continues to capture the imagination of those who cross its path my encounter with the dogman serves as a haunting reminder that the boundary between reality and the unknown can blur in the most unexpected ways, leaving even the most resilient individuals questioning their understanding of the world around them. Was camping in the mountains in British Columbia, Canada, and myself, friends, and my dog had spent the day four by fouring and decided to come back as it was getting dark fast. Truck breaks down, and we decided we'd better walk back to camp. We were only about two kilometers away where we broke down. It was around 11 p.m. at this point, so very dark, and no one had a real flashlight, so we just walked with the moonlight. My dog was super on edge and was growling a lot and smelling around. He's a hound, so smelling is pretty normal, so I did not think much of it. But after a while, he was really growling and was looking around rapidly and barking behind us, to the side of us, in front of us, in front of us and going nuts. My friend turned her phone light on to just look up ahead, and it was a cougar just standing in front of us on the trail. My dog went full howling at this point and was trying to run at it. He was on a leash, and the cougar took off. We were all terrified for the walk back. 
It made no noise the whole time we walked. Only reason we knew was because of the dog. I messaged Don here a bit back for a story idea involving cryptids, and I thought it might be fun to discuss some encounters that happened to me and my family as a child which involved the presence of unknown animals and were quite scary to me at the time. For context, I grew up on a farm in the middle of a very rural, hilly area, eastern Kentucky, and my house was surrounded by woods. We owned several acres ourselves, but around us the farmers owned hundreds of acres, raising cows and tobacco, and as kids my brother, my sister, and I were allowed to run around, hike, and explore as we liked. Coming from country folk, we were familiar with animals, dangers of the environment. We lived by a major river, and the hills we lived in were as steep and tall as some mountains. And we were taught to carry weapons at an early age to protect ourselves. My brother carried a twenty-two at ten, and I always carried a hard cane or machete. Though after several of the incidents I'll describe, I began to carry a gun as well. Very old school. Anyway, my brother and I were introverts who loved to take solitary walks, and there was one holler behind our house that was particularly beautiful. It was fully wooded, had a nice creek, and there were rock walls and piles of stones that had once been a small house and outbuildings, but had long collapsed. If you walked all the way to the back of the holler where the house once stood, you found a large round area with a circular pound and a large tree that split into two trees and stood right in the middle of the water, which was fed by a small spring. There was also a small waterfall and a very large old tree with a hole in it, halfway up the trunk, big enough for a grown man to sit in. Super magical to a kid. We were always lured to this place and would sneak to the very back as often as we could, even though our parents always told us to leave the old stone buildings alone. But once we got back there, there would come a point where we would suddenly feel very, very scared and would have to leave. This only began to happen when we were teenagers. When we were younger, everything was fine, which is why it is so strange. Our dogs would often go with us back into the holler, but they liked to chase animals and would often run off and leave us. Things would only start to feel strange and scary once they were gone and we were alone. Once it happened when a dog was with me, though, and I'm going to tell you about it, I'll also tell you what animal or cryptid I think was causing it. My brother was the first to start reporting that the holler was scary. He was older and would venture alone before me. He liked to hunt, too. He said that he started to feel like he was being watched, and he even began to feel like he was being followed when he there. Lee stayed on the ground in that holler year-round, and he swore to my dad that he was being followed because he would stop walking, but the leaves behind him would keep crunching for a few moments, as if something else were walking along and stopped a few moments after him. The trees are quite dense, and he says he could never see anything, but he would shout aggressively, let off a gunshot, and even run back the way he came to see if he could flush anything out. He never saw anything specific, but he thought he heard other sounds, like low groves sometimes. He also noticed that the forest would go quiet, which is always a bad sign. 
Then an incident happened where my brother was walking at the very bottom of the holler and playing around in the creek, and a large stone boulder came rolling out of nowhere right at him. Like I said, the hills there are steep and landslides aren't uncommon, but this was just one boulder among an otherwise still forest. He immediately came home and told our dad, and our dad told him to stay out of that holler in case it was a weird person back there being creepy. Drug dealers had just started to move into the area at this time, and we had been having trouble with occasional robbery attempts. You would think that this would scare me away from the holler as well, right? Up to this point, I had not walked alone in it. I'd always gone with my brother, but when he started to refusing to going back there, I started going alone. I absolutely loved the woods and spent a lot of time in them. I had a big imagination and loved to play, pretend, even as a teenager. This holler was very pretty and very cool in the summer, and the creek was really good for swimming because it was limestone and clear. The pond was gorgeous, like something out of a fantasy novel. I read a lot of novels, and I honestly saw myself as an elfin princess or brave explorer whenever I ventured off. I was also very sheltered. I honestly had no idea how dangerous it could be and really thought the world was like a book. When I was at the back of our farm, I could see the creek and the holler opening with its tall trees and butterflies buzzing about, and I always just wanted to go play or even just stand or sit somewhere in the trees. It was just a very pretty, quiet place, and I liked to pretend I lived there. Until the creepy thing began happening to me. I would be playing along. I had an M3 player and would listen to music, dance, climb trees, play in the water, or just walk around looking at things and taking pictures. I still have a lot of the pictures I took on my first phone, read books, and suddenly it would happen. I would realize that the woods were completely quiet. I would look around and start to feel very uneasy, like I was being watched. It was always after the dogs had gotten bored and ventured off. I would become very conscious and realize that I wanted to leave, but for some reason, I was always too scared to just walk away. I always felt very, very strongly that if I kept my back turned, something would creep up on me. I was so scared that I would walk on the stones in the middle of the creek to make it more difficult for something to run straight at me and I would walk backwards, looking all around me except for brief moments to glance at where I was walking. I'm telling you, I felt like I was in a blinking contest that, if lost, meant my death, and I kept my eyes on the side of the creek that always made me feel danger, the side where the pond and house ruins lay. Halfway back to my house, a stone cellar was built into the hillside. When I was little, it had a door. But when I was older, it was just a dark open doorway, and it used to scare me very badly during these times. I always felt like it was a portal to somewhere evil. I never felt safe until I had walked all the way to the hill my house sat on, climbed it still staring backwards, climbed the fence into our fields, and made it into our barn. At that point, I would absolutely sprint back to our house. I never told my dad or family about it because my brother was told not to go back there, and I knew I would get in trouble if I said I had. My family was an old-school whip for punishment family, and I never wanted to risk it. 
Afterwards, I would always swear to myself that I was never going back there, ever. I would think about bears or cougars which occasionally passed through the area, and how I would have died and probably not ever been found if one had charged and eaten me. We ran a farm and occasionally dumped bodies of dead animals over this hillside for the predators to eat. I knew how fast a body could disappear in woods where coyotes lived. But still, after a few weeks or maybe a month, the encounter would fade from my mind, and when I would see the holler opening, I was always tempted to climb down the hill and visit the creek. I always told myself I would not walk to the back, but the bad, scary feeling was never there at first, and I always ended up walking a little farther and a little farther until I was at the back. Then it would all happen again. After the first two times, I started carrying a gun, and eventually I was actually attacked by something. I had one of our dogs with us, a red healer, a hound named Ginger. She was the best dog that ever lived, extremely maternal. She took care of all baby animals, and my parents always joked that she helped raise us kids. She was the alpha of our farm very protective, dominant, and aggressive of creatures that were not her family. While she chased rabbits on walks when she was young, she tended to stick with humans as she got older. She was probably around 12 years old at this time, and she decided to stay right with me while I took a short walk back in the cursed holler. When I got scared, I turned back like usual, but this time I felt less cautious because Ginger was with me. I reasoned that my dog would know if anything was really wrong, and that she would alert me. Because of this, when I reached the hill that my house was on, I decided to walk up it without looking backwards like I normally did. I was attacked halfway up. I don't know by what exactly. I honestly did not get a good look. I know that it was completely silent and that it was almost on me before either Ginger or I knew it. All I remember is hearing a noise in the grass, seeing Ginger turn and charge with fur raised and something large and dark behind me when I turn. Like I said, Ginger is a very aggressive, protective dog. Whatever the creature was, she was snarling and on it by the time I turned to see it. The minute they collided, the creature began snarling in the most horrible, loud voice I have ever heard. It wasn't inhuman. I've heard animals snarl, and it sounded like an animal, but it was incredibly loud. It made me flinch and fall down. Ginger was snarling, too, which made it all a lot worse sounding, but sounded like she was fighting some sort of cat. Anyway, Ginger and this creature, snarling and fighting, start rolling down the hill, which was steep and had some drop-offs, and in seconds they were out of sight. I was sitting on the ground and could hear them fighting, but I was absolutely terrified and just sat there for a moment, not know what to do. When I did get up, and I'm very ashamed to say this now, I ran straight home. I did not run down over the hillside to help Ginger. I was absolutely terrified, and even though I had a gun, I knew I could not shoot whatever it was without hitting Ginger. In my 15-year-old mind, the best thing to do was run to the house and get my dad, who could figure anything out, and all I prayed was that Ginger stayed alive long enough for us to get her. So I ran the rest of the way up the hill, completely jumped the fence, ran straight to the house, screaming at the top of my lungs, and got my dad. 
He rushed over the hillside with me, with a much bigger rifle in hand, and we looked for Ginger. We could not find her anywhere. But I described what happened to my dad and my brother who joined us, and we searched the holler for her up and down. He found scruff marks and fur on the hillside, but otherwise found no trace. No signs, no sounds, no blood, other than a small amount on the hillside. Eventually, evening fell, and we called it a day and went home. We were all heartbroken, and I felt horribly guilty, because I knew that I'd gotten our dog killed. My family didn't blame me, and my dad said I did the right thing. Except that. Ginger came back. A little while after we were done looking and had returned to the house, my dad went on to the front porch, and there she was. She was scratched, and her fur was all messed up, and there was some blood. But she was okay and made a full recovery. And I never, ever went back into the holler again, and I would probably never go into the woods alone again. I still have no idea what the creature was that attacked, but I have three theories, the first two not cryptid, they are coyote or bobcat. Though usually pretty shy, when it is denning season, both animals can be aggressive and attack. It is possible that one had an active den in the holler, and that the creepy watching and the attack were brought on by a territorial animal, protecting its young. However, the creature seemed very dark in color to me. It followed me up a hillside into my house, and my real guess is a black panther. Like the U.K., there are stories in Kentucky of large black cats living in the area. A farmer once claimed to have found one in a cistern, and it made the newspaper when I was a kid. My dad saw it and says it was a real panther, and many of the old farmers who live in the area who are very rational and knowledgeable about their land claim that they have seen black cats and even shot at them. Fish and Wildlife took the creature and then said it was a large dog, but everyone in my area says it was definitely a cat, and people farmed enough and were close enough to know when a strange dog was running around the area. I've also had one other scary experience where a friend of mine left me alone in a hayfield after seeing a large black creature walk through the tall grass behind me. This was close to the holler I talked about above. Panthers are a Kentucky cryptid. What are your ideas, though? What other cryptid could have acted like this? So to start off, I live right next to a boardwalk, so sometimes during the summer I run, walk the length, and back to my place, which is about two miles. One day at around 6 a.m., I saw a single person lying on the beach, I thought nothing of it. There were surfers always arriving this early to catch the early waves and not pay the beach entrance. So after my run, walk I shower and go back to bed for four more hours or so. Well, when I wake up, I put on my TV and on one of the local news channels, I saw that a person was found dead on the beach bear this block and that street. I realized instantly that it was the person I saw on earlier. The person was found by a person running with his dog on the beach. Thinking it was a drunk, he walked up to her, and when she wasn't moving and her face blue, he called paramedics, dead at the scene. I know it isn't what your question asked, but I just wanted to say what I saw and could have experienced if I was in the position of that guy running on the beach.
Me and my family went to our local mountain to look at the massive amount of snow it had gotten in the past few days. From Arizona, so snow is rare. We were walking down the trail when all of a sudden our dog stopped and started to growl down the path. Now this dog scares himself awake with his own fart, so he is easily scared off, but not this time. He just looked down the trail and was growling. We tried to get him to keep walking forward, but he wouldn't walk forward and was being dragged as we tried to keep going. We stopped and tried to pet him and make him feel better, but he wouldn't even look at us. Just whatever was behind us in the trees. He was smelling or seeing something that he didn't like, and when me and my father tried to go down the path alone, he would start barking at us as if he was so scared for us, and was panicking that we were getting closer to whatever he didn't like. We stopped and just went back down the trail back to our cars. We told everyone that was coming down the trail what we heard, and most of them blew us off. But some just turned around with us and walked someplace else. I am happy we never found what he was so scared of. I am sure it will bear, or maybe a mountain lion, but it could have been anything. For a few years, I'd been walking around on the farmland that I live on, usually a stretch of one, two miles. Sometimes that took place at night when my sleep schedule was bad. No issues other than severe paranoia from time to time. But the only predators around are coyotes as far as I knew. I was about halfway done when I saw a black figure that was at least seven, eight feet tall coming at the dirt road I was on from a crossroads. I'm six foot tall and it was above my head, so I know it was tall. At this point, I'm genuinely fearing for my life and I don't know why. I'm the movie character who runs towards the killer, ghost, monster, but this time I turned to run, shut off all my lights, and went max speed half a mile back to the house. I wait around by a tree with a giant metal fence post acting as an impromptu spear until a feeling of fear fades suddenly and I go back inside. So, me being me, I obviously go out the next night and I see some claw marks that are bigger than my eleven wide booted and completely unnatural looking. Even after posting this around for years, nobody has been able to identify the claws. I was in Syria on a visit from Australia back in the late nineties. I saw two dogs in the distance about 30 meters away, lit up by a bright moon. They had faces that looked human. I seriously froze. They walked up to about 10 meters away and looked totally flipping human. One of them growled, so I fired off a round and they ran away. I immediately headed back home, looking over my shoulder the whole way. I told my aunt what I saw, and the house erupted in laughter. It was some local ghost story. Everyone had an encounter with them at one stage or something. Five those dogs. A mysterious hermit with long a flowing beard and a chilling cackle led two Boy Scout leaders Saturday midnight to the body of a murdered man in a Delaware County, Pennsylvania, wood. Then, as he showed them the remains, the hermit disappeared. And all night and all, day's search of the vicinity has failed to locate him.
The murdered man has not been identified. The scout leaders were Wilmer Brown, 31, scoutmaster of the Colwyn Troop, and Walter Hawks, his assistant. They were on their way to the scout camp on Darby Creek, Delaware Township. When the two were at the edge of the woods, the hermit appeared. Flashlights of the scouts picked out his weird countenance from among the heavy brush and trees. Do you want to see something? The hermit asked in his strange, cackling way. Yes, the two replied, although later admitting they were frightened for the moment. Then the hermit led them through thicket and underbrush, over little used by paths and through parts of the woods where no paths at all appeared. He came to a little clearing. Bending over, he parted the underbrush and said one word look. Brown and Hawks complied. They saw with startled eyes the form of a man. A gun lay close at hand. They advanced into the thicket to get a closer view. Then, turning to question the hermit, they discovered he had silently vanished. The scouts ran to the Springfield Township Police Headquarters. Sergeant Chandler was on duty. He called Coroner J. Evan Skeel of Delaware County, and a searching party set out. It took them nearly two hours to again reach the spot where the body of the man lay. At first, it was believed he was a self-harm, but no bullet holes were found in his tattered clothing or his decomposed body. The body was taken to the county morgue and an autopsy was performed. Then it was disclosed that the man had been beaten to death. Two shots had been fired from the gun near at hand, but neither entered the body of the man. His clothing, though worn and tattered by exposure, told police the man had been well-to-do. Expensive dental work furnished a clue. Police are checking with all dentists in the Philadelphia area in hopes of identifying the man. Meanwhile, the hunt for the mysterious hermit with the white flowing whiskers continues. At the time of the incident, I lived in south-central Pennsylvania near Chambersburg. The date was June 16, 2018. I was with my dog in the front yard. It was late night, and I let the dog out before going to bed. Suddenly, I was hit by a bright, blinding light from above. It felt like it went down in me, then back up. It lifted my upper body up just a little bit. I felt like my arms and chest expanded with pure, intense energy and light. When I looked down, my body was covered in shimmering light. The grass, the leaves, my arms. When I looked around, my movement felt like it was flowing. It stopped after about ten seconds. Then for about twenty minutes after, I would get a small glimpse of that feeling, and I would get goosebumps up and down my arms and a warm feeling across my chest. The next morning, I noticed a rash starting on my chest and arms. It spread very fast, across my chest, down my shoulders, arms and tops of my hands. Everywhere that was exposed the night before, it continuously got worse. It was very painful and burned off and on. It was scaly as well. I soon called a dermatologist and was able to book an emergency appointment for two days later. It bothered me so bad that I almost went to the emergency room. The doctor had no idea what it was. It wasn't psoriasis or dermatitis. They tested for skin cancer, which was negative. They gave me a steroid cream and pills, but it didn't work at all. 
Nothing helped my condition. It was very itchy. It ached and was bright red. If the sun got on it, the sores would swell and itch. I was also hearing strange sounds in my left ear. I heard humming, ringing, beeping tones, and a few times I heard people talking in an unrecognizable language. Then, one night, about two weeks later, I went to sleep and had terrible nightmares. I woke several times feeling nauseous. In the morning when I woke, I got out of bed to go to the bathroom. I looked in the mirror and the rash was completely gone. There was not a trace of the marks, and there was no scarring. Five years since the recovery, I feel better than ever. I used to suffer from Crohn's disease and arthritis, but both have dissipated completely. The doctors tell me that I have no trace of either malady. Is there a possibility that I was healed by that unknown light?